Hi, this is Alan Jackson here on Stepping Up Service. A quick note before we get into this episode. Uh, we did have some slight Skype issues while recording this episode. So Ed Gagnon, my co-host, uh, occasionally you'll hear it, it, it get a little stuttered or maybe uh, pause for a few moments or uh, not sound quite as clear for a few seconds at a time. We apologize for that. There's nothing wrong with your system that you're playing this on. This is all on the recording side. And uh, we apologize for any inconvenience, but uh, hopefully the episode still holds up and provides you with some great content. Thanks a lot. What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. For organizations looking to enhance their customer relationships, this is Stepping Up Service. Hello and welcome to Stepping Up Service here on TheMesh.tv. My name is Alan Jackson. I am uh, president of the Jackson Group, a uh, survey services and management consulting firm that's been in business for about 40 years and uh, a glad co-host of this show, Stepping Up Service, talking all about the world of customer service, how we deliver customer service, ways to improve the customer service we give to clients, employees, vendors, whoever it may be. And I use the word co-host because with me, as always, is my other host of the show, Ed Gagnon with Customer Service Solutions. Ed, how are you today? I'm doing great. How was your uh, holiday, Alan? You know, it was it was good. Uh, unfortunately, and my voice is a little bit of a culprit of uh, of still the holidays. I, I was under the weather for a little bit of it, which made it a little tougher than normal. Um, but overall, good. I hope I hope you and your family had a good holiday season as well. Yeah, it was really good. Did a little bit of traveling, but not too much. So uh, we had a really good time. Seen a lot of relatives, family, That's uh, great. friends, that kind of thing. Other than it being really hot on Christmas, it was, uh, what was it, it like 70 some degrees, I think, on Christmas yeah. Day. That just didn't quite feel feel like the holiday season. My kids were a little disappointed that uh, they just kept saying it doesn't feel like you know, Christmas and New Year's and all that. So, uh, mm-hmm. But it was it was fun otherwise. I think once they opened up their gifts, they kind of forgot about the weather. They were fine. With, with everything else. so, All right. Well, Ed, today's topic on Stepping Up Service, and again, this show here on the TV, where we talk about the world of delivering outstanding customer service or, uh, or raising the customer service level of your culture at your organization. Um, it's an interesting topic, and I love the, to- the, the just the titles, Predicting the Exit. It's this idea of customers who are going to leave you uh, as a customer, leave your organization, leave your business. And figuring out ways to predict that exit. In other words, Ed, it sounds like you're going to share with us some uh, some ways that maybe some different companies or industries are able to predict when those potential clients or customers may leave, and hopefully what to do to, to fix that. Is that is, is I sum it up pretty good there? That's exactly right. Because the last thing you want is for your customer to tell you that they're not renewing their contract or. You just realize months down the road, you know, I haven't seen Fred in several months. I wonder what he's up to or what's going on. The last thing you want to happen is for that customer, that client, that account to leave and you don't know why. And maybe there's something you could have done about it to have saved that client. So, yes, we're definitely talking about how can we predict, how can we anticipate those clients, those customers that might leave so that we can be more proactive and do whatever we can to retain that customer. And, you know, that's that's something where – I always kind of comment a little bit about, I see a lot of small businesses in town and, you know, many of them thrive and do pretty well, but there are ones that don't last as long, or I see them really starting to kind of just drop in level of the number of people they're working with and kind of their exposure in the community. And so many times I hear people say that, 
you know, I left so-and-so, uh, some professional service firm or some other company I was doing business with because they never seemed to really pick up on the fact that I was unhappy. They never really seemed to understand that I wasn't getting what I needed. So when I walked away, it was like either a surprise to them or something else. And I hear that so many times in so many examples. So it sounds like we're really going to talk about what we need to do as in the business world to help understand and, and see when those exits may be coming in the future to try to prevent those from happening. Absolutely. Uh, one of the most frustrating things for a business is, is to work so hard to acquire a new customer and, and you have them and, and then you lose them. And, and sometimes it's because we make the assumption if we have them, they're going to stay with us. If they have them and they're not coming to us griping and complaining about something, if they're satisfied. But we're going to talk about hey, how do we go beyond just waiting for that horrible complaint or that threat to leave to be a little bit more strategic, a little bit more proactive, a little bit more inquisitive about it. So uh, the, those professional services firms in that example that are, are at risk of losing customers, they know so up front so that they could really uh, act on whatever information they have and, and really retain those customers. That's great. Well, my understanding is you have a few kind of industry-specific examples to yeah, go over definitely. with us. So why don't we just go ahead and jump into the first couple of those? What's some ex- examples of industries that are trying their best to predict the exit and what are they doing about it? Okay. And since we're talking about four different industries, this might be tough, but I, I'm I'm going to try to make this uh, podcast all about you, Alan. Well, so. that's typically the way we go on this. And I mean, I think yes. it's pretty much an, a foregone conclusion that the shows and the episodes do need to be about me. So I appreciate yes. you kind of bringing that back around again. Yeah. yeah and, and the reason why this might be a little bit difficult is I'm going to I'm going to make you four different customers. So you're going to actually have to have multiple personalities during this podcast. Alan. That's not a problem because I typically on a, any given day already have multiple personalities. So that's fine. Uh, four. Uh, okay. I, only, I only have to do four. That's actually uh, that's, four, an, yes. that's an improvement. I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the first industry is sports. Okay. It could be college sports, professional sports. And your role is a season ticket holder. OK, got it. So you buy. Buy season tickets for basketball or football or mm-hmm. hockey or lacrosse or, you know, whatever the sport may be. Um, and I, as the organization, want to predict your exit. So let, let me give you a category. Let, let's look at participation. How can I monitor your participation uh, as a season ticket holder to determine whether or not you're going to exit? What do I monitor your participation in what? Well, me, me showing up to different, uh, to the actual events, you know, that I have tickets yes. for, I would imagine if all of a sudden I'm showing up for, you know, a, a minority of the sporting events, the games or whatever, that should be a red flag, I would imagine. Yes. Um, and also if there's any special events I'm invited to as a season ticket holder, receptions, functions, whatever it may be, and I don't show up to those, I would think participation in any of those events would be a, a real red flag for somebody. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so we're going to go through for each one of these industries three examples of of what a company might monitor Mm -hmm. in order to predict your exit. And you hit on the first one. It's participation in terms of attending games, attending events, organizations that really monitor well the attendance in games against benchmarks that they've experienced in the past. We know that once our fans are only coming to 50% of the uh, games, that's kind of the tipping point where a high percentage of them don't renew their agreements year to year. Or when they don't show up for these uh, coach uh, chats or these GM chats, uh, we know that that's a red flag and we can Mm -hmm. predict the exit. So one way to predict the exit on the season ticket holder for a sports team is to look at attendance levels. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another category is input. 
One okay. way to predict is to get input from your fan through surveys, for example. And mm-hmm. in the surveys, you are literally asking them, uh, what is your likelihood to renew? Mm-hmm. And you're asking this well before they will renew so that you can identify who's highly likely, who's kind of straddling the fence, who's unlikely to renew. And the third category we're going to address with pro sports is issues. Mm-hmm. And this is when we do get into complaints. Who are you hearing from that has a major issue? What are those types of complaints? Uh, those are oftentimes those kind of red flags that help you to predict the exit. For pro sports, then th- there's three examples we're giving. It's that participation, attendance, and games events. It's getting their input. With You're literally asking them, and they're telling you how likely they are to renew or exit. Mm-hmm. And then the third is monitoring those complaints. Okay. All right. So really using those three tools, those are three things to kind of be monitoring that should be able to give you a good picture of when you look at your whole season ticket holders, this is a group that because of these three things, either input we got from a survey, complaints we've actually been monitoring that this person is fielded, or just their lack of attendance at events in general. Those three things together kind of give you that metric to help you see that potential exiting customer. Yes, and that, the reason why that is so important, and I like the word metric, is if there's some way you can quantify mm-hmm. the likelihood of your season ticket holders to leave, then when you're thinking about the renewal process, you're not like a lot of sports teams do making five telephone attempts to every one of your thousands of accounts trying to get them on the phone. And it, what you're doing is you're being more strategic. You're saying we've identified these 15 or 20 percent as being highly at risk of non-renewal, this additional 15 percent being at some kind of moderate risk of non-renewal. And what we're going to do is we're going to put our best reps or our best uh, customer service, service recovery personnel on those most at risk of non-renewal. And we're going to make more call attempts to them or more attempts to visit them or more personalized contact with them than these that are not at risk. So mm-hmm. the reason why we're doing this, it really helps you to be strategic and more efficient and effective in your follow-up, in your renewal efforts, because you went through the process of really trying to identify which of those truly are most at risk. Yeah. It's almost like if you could create a, a model, you know, kind of a metric model to say, take these three items, attendance and uh, survey input and complaints, build them together and give a little bit of a priority to, to them and kind of some thresholds to say, you know, hey, if this is a person that has not shown up for over 30% of the events that we have or or, yes. or, or ticket events. Uh, and we've gotten this kind of score from them on a survey and we've at least gotten this many complaints from them of this severity. That's our picture of, wow, that, that individual is someone that we're going to lose if we don't cater to their needs or, or address it right now. So, Yeah, that's exactly right. So there's several things you can do once you've gone through that process you just described, once you've tapped into these different methods. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first is make sure, in almost any case, especially in sports, that you have uh, an account relationship structure set up uh, after that initial sale. Because a lot of contractual-oriented arrangements where you are with a vendor for a year as a customer or you're with a sports team for a year as a season ticket holder, a lot of these are not necessarily transactional. It's more of a 12-month agreement. Mm -hmm. And in that 12-month period, you should be developing a relationship throughout the year. You should be having touch points with these clients, which I know we've talked about on podcasts throughout the year. So the first way to prevent the exit uh, is to make sure that early on you have that account relationship structure in place and you're literally tapping into the voice of the customer throughout the year. Right, sure. Uh, this, the second thing to do, and this gets at that input piece I just mentioned a minute ago, is make sure that you have a research program that addresses retention drivers, 
addresses satisfaction level because you don't want to just uh, view feedback as something that you sit back and receive when the customer wants to bring it to you. You have to be proactive uh, about uh, soliciting that feedback. Just like the idea of predicting the exit enables you to be proactive in terms of who you go after more intentionally to try to retain, you want to be more proactive in identifying who those folks are through your research efforts. So that's the second thing Mm -hmm. that you can do to try to really get ahead of the game and predicting the exit and and addressing what those issues are. Because you're not only asking, uh, are you likely to renew, for example, but you're asking uh, what are some of those experiences that could cause you not to renew. So Mm -hmm. now you know what their hot buttons are and you can follow up about those. The third thing that you could potentially do, and you've already alluded to this, is that based on what these predictors are, based on who this 15 or 20% of your accounts are that are the most at risk, you want to put uh, almost a retention team or a retention strategy in place specifically for those, using the communication method they prefer, trying to get them on the phone, get them face-to-face, going at them instead of saying, hey, we want to retain you for this year, say, Hi, Mary Smith. How are you doing today? Uh, I know that uh, you completed that survey for us. Thank you so much for doing that. I just want to follow up on a couple of key points and then hone in on those key retention drivers, personalized, mm-hmm. soft, customer service-oriented dialogue so that you're really trying to nurture that relationship, overcome the obstacles that could cause them not to renew. Great. I mean, it just it really just sounds like having all the plans in place to know that as you're getting this information, as you're tracking this this data that we talked about, that you've got something to do with it. You actually know a plan to go after it. And it's not just a cookie cutter plan either. It needs to be really kind of a little bit of tailoring to each individual situation and their needs that are not being met by your service so far. For example, earlier this week I had a call with a sports client and they're really focused on first-time fans because their first-time fan retention rate is so much lower than all the rest of the fans. So they showed me this graphic, the strategy, it all started or ended with retaining the fan as being the goal, and then they started to get into tactics. Well, before they got too far into their discussion, I paused them and I said, well, if retention is the goal, what kind of information do you need to know on those first-time fans to best retain them? And they said, oh, we're real good at gathering this. We we get their email address and their phone number. And then there was silence. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that tells you how to get in contact with them. Mm -hmm. But what do you need to know about them to retain these particular fans? Mm -hmm. And and we had to go through several different minutes, uh, uh, several minutes of actually talking about that because they think in terms of, well, I just need to to contact them. But the question is, when you're retaining somebody, what do you need to contact them about? What is Mm -hmm. the specific issue, that thing that could cause them not to renew uh, what What is that uh, retention driver that you need to address? So when you're thinking about predicting, you know, doing this kind of research throughout the year to predict renewal likelihood or to get input, you got to be real intentional about saying, if I'm going to do this survey or I'm going to ask a question of the client first, I need to be thinking about 6, 8, 10, 12 months from now, what do I need to know at that point to retain the client? And then based on what do I need to, what I need to know at the renewal period, what do I need to ask on the surveys, on those Q&As with those clients months and months earlier? Yeah. It's just a, it just sounds like, again, it's all kind of coming down to this having a strategy and plan in place to know what to do with the information that you're going to gather and that you're going to have. And just having it's only half the, half the battle. you got to actually do something with it 
and, and make sure you're getting the right kind of information that's going to help you predict that exit that we're, that we're talking about in this episode. So That's exactly right. Now, the, the next industry is totally different than what we just talked about with pro sports. Okay, sure. Um, you are an internet shopper. Internet shopper. Well, that's an easy role for yes. me to play. That's pretty much yeah. how I do all my shopping now. So just out of curiosity, uh, if there's one type of item uh, or industry within uh, online retailing that you typically purchase from, what, what would be the item you buy online? Uh, typically for online purchases, I mean, if I'm looking for um, – it, generally it's it's uh, a little, little parts or things around the house, you know, if there's a – cable that I'm needing, if there's something I know is pretty easy for me to find online and I can get it pretty quickly to either repair something at the house or some sort of supply at the house that needs to be refilled, that's typically what I'll use the internet shopping for a lot more. Okay. So maybe it's handymanparts.com. Perfect. And and it could be something technology related, maybe physical hardware, fixing something in the house related. Sure. Handyman parts. Well, that doesn't sound right, but handymanparts.com is the website that you're going to. Yes. Okay. Sounds like a good one to me. I'm actually going to check it out and see if it actually works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there's three different uh, examples that I'm going to give you, and they're all participation related. So, Alan, think about uh, whether in a situation where you are a frequent shopper of handymanparts.com, mm-hmm. what are some things that the company could look at in terms of your activity okay. on the website, your participation on the website? that could flag you as somebody at risk uh, of, of being lost? Um, well, I mean, I know kind of tracking what pages I visit or don't visit on the website could be something. I would imagine if there's a way to track that if I'm someone that comes to their website a lot, but yet I don't buy anything, you know, or let's say I just, they, they, they know that I'm viewing things, but I never actually go to the purchase page, or I never actually go to, 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 to finish the, the order I would imagine that would be a pretty big red flag for someone to know from an online shopping standpoint. Um, and then if they know if there's a way of tracking through login password that I haven't even gone to the website in such a, so long a time, that would be another red flag I would imagine as well. Well, those are great examples, Alan, and, and I'm going to summarize those and add in uh, one myself uh, mm-hmm. relating to this frequent shopper of the online retailer. These are all participation, three participation examples. The first is what you alluded to, visit frequency, visit length. Mm-hmm. If you have a certain customer and it's a recurring customer and you see that they're not coming as frequently, there are gaps between those visits or they're on the website uh, for shorter periods of time, going to fewer number of pages, those are definitely risk factors. Mm-hmm. The, the second is conversion rates. You alluded to that. They're mm-hmm. not actually buying anything. So maybe they're, they're still visiting the same amount, but the percentage of times that they actually go to that contact page or that purchase page or they go into the cart or however you're uh, monitoring their conversion rate, that is a risk factor. The mm-hmm. third to think about is a lot of these uh, – uh, vi- visits and views on the website are directed through some kind of social media or email marketing. So particularly with email marketing, you, you can check open rates and you can check mm-hmm. forwarding rates and, and things along those lines to identify. So here uh, we're, we're focusing primarily on the participation uh, of that particular customer on the website uh, and uh, not that there aren't issues you can uncover or input you can gather uh, but that should be a strong area of focus, the predominant area of focus for those online retailers. You know, I was actually just thinking about it as you were kind of responding to my, my examples there. You know, I use Amazon quite a bit 
for things. I typically don't buy things that I know I can buy locally around here, but if there's things that I just can't buy anywhere else, I'll use Amazon for it. But you know, if I was Amazon and I, I'm sure they're doing this, I'm not, I'm not telling Amazon how to run their business. I think they're doing okay right now, but I've got a lot of items in my shopping cart that I, I don't, I, I don't ever buy. So it's like, you know, I'll put them in my shopping cart cause I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking I might want to remember to buy those at some point, but I never actually get around to buying them, which if I was Amazon, that would probably be a sign of I either bought them somewhere else or maybe uh, the price isn't good enough. I'm waiting to see if the price goes down or something like that. So those are the kind of metrics, and I'm sure an Amazon is tracking those things. But for anybody who does anything online, you know, if you're watching the shopping cart activity and you're seeing that they're adding things and they're viewing things, but they're never buying them, that's a gap. That means I'm either price shopping somewhere else or doing something else uh, using your site as a wish list, but not actually a place to purchase. So that could be a real problem. So. Yeah, and that's interesting because it's not just navigating through the site, but it's people who get to different levels uh, through the purchase process of the site and monitoring what they're doing at the different levels uh, of that purchase process as well might be one way that you would address it. So in terms of what to do about it, how to prevent the exit, uh, some of it starts with knowing what should be the appropriate behaviors. Are they segmenting their client base, identifying those high-dollar clients, identifying certain client types uh, as well? Are they monitoring the metrics of those individual buyers against whatever profile that they fit? Uh, And then once you've identified those at risk, uh, first of all, it's the follow-up. Oftentimes, online retailers don't do any direct follow-up with people at risk. Essentially, they're just pushing more marketing, pushing, pushing, Mm -hmm. pushing. But this is when you start thinking in terms of service recovery mode. How can I personally reach out to a client and not to follow up about metrics. You know, I see that you're visiting 3.2 pages instead of 4.7. Right. What's you know, going on? Something's wrong. <laughs> Sorry. Exactly. No, you, you're just following up about the experience. You're yeah. just following up about what their current interests are. Again, it's a very soft way to engage the client, but but you're doing that to seek input, to uncover issues so they can resolve those and strengthen the relationship again. So you're moving away from these push marketing focuses that online retailers have, you're trying to move toward the more pull touches where you're being proactive and you're pulling feedback, you're pulling input. And then you also try to think of, well, maybe there are alternative ways to engage these particular customers. Maybe they're they're not coming to the website as much, but maybe if, if we had certain videos they could access, if there were some online focus groups that, that we could pull them into, if there were other ways to connect with them via social media or other means, how can we engage them if just purely that one method of engagement, the website, is not as successful for that given client or that client base as it used to be? Well, you know, even the idea, and I, I don't know how many of the online retailers do this, but, you know, obviously they're going to have really quick access to data about purchase habits over, you know, year over year, quarter after quarter. And you know, if you've got a client that you're seeing, oh, wow, 2013, they bought this much online, 2014, they bought this much okay, we're halfway through 2015 and they are nowhere near the level they normally are. Um, but yet they're still visiting the site. We just don't see purchases happening. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's figuring out what is that direct follow-up. Like you said, it's not just keep blasting them with more marketing messages. It's whether it's a phone call, whether it's a direct email to them saying, hey, is everything okay? We just want to make sure that our prices are still meeting your needs, our selection. Uh, is there anything we could be doing better you know, to keep your business uh, uh, strong with us? Those kind of things. I mean, online, I would imagine, would be probably the easiest 
type of service where you're going to have metrics right at your fingertips you can pull yes. up. So it's just a matter of how do you add that more human element to it, not just make it a, not just try to solve it by just increasing the number of email blasts you send out or uh, marketing announcements. So, yeah, that's one of the great things about online retailing and the metrics that are associated with it. You have so much individualized data on a given client that it does enable you to personalize your proactive messaging. And it's not just for sales, but it is for this service recovery, this avoiding the exit uh, kind of activity that you're trying to do as well. So I know a lot of what we've talked about so far is uh, relating to categories of information that a company might uh, compile. It's the participation level of those customers. It's uh, the issues Um, that they have. It's the input as well. We're going to tap into those a little bit more with our next two industries after the break. We're also going to get into another category that we haven't even touched on yet, a way to really predict the exit uh, for your customers. Okay, great. Well, we'll look forward to it. We're going to take a quick little break. We come back, we'll finish up with uh, two more industries examples and talks about uh, how they can predict their exiting customers in advance and what they can do to help resolve that. And we'll also end up the episode with our customer service story of the month, as usual. So this is uh, Stepping Up Service here on TheMesh.TV. Alan Jackson and Ed Gagnon will be right back with you in just a moment. Hi, I'm Alan. I'm Chris. And we're the co-host of Foot Candle Films, a movie review and film discussion show here on TheMesh.TV. Each episode, we talk about some new movies, cover some film news, and have some recommendations. And trust us, we're just as likely to talk about the latest Jim Jarmusch film as we are the newest Transformers installment. Hold on, don't get too crazy. Uh, Well, okay, maybe not that bad. But you can find our show and all our episodes on TheMesh.TV. Plus, you can subscribe to get new episodes delivered right to your computer or mobile device. We'll see you in the ticket line. Welcome back to Stepping Up Service here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan Jackson with The Jackson Group, and with me is Ed Gagnon with Customer Service Solutions. Uh, a little bit of information about the two of us before we continue on with the show. You can learn more about Customer Service Solutions. That's Ed's company that deals with helping organizations uh, raise their customer service level, improve their overall customer service culture throughout the organization, uh, and working in a variety of methods with different industries and different groups on, on helping retain those customers and even helping them predict those exiting customers, just like what we're talking about in this episode today. You can learn a little bit more about Ed's company, Customer Service Solutions, at CSSAmerica.com. That's CSSAmerica.com. And it's a great website for checking out blog posts, signing up for an email newsletter, or just finding out more about what the services they provide for organizations uh, all over the place. And then we're at the Jackson Group, my firm, uh, The Jackson Group, that's T-H-E, Jackson Group, all one word, where we conduct employee satisfaction and engagement surveys, customer satisfaction surveys, patient satisfaction surveys, and market perception and community assessment surveys for a variety of organizations. Uh, and you're listening to the show on TheMesh.TV. So one more website to plug for you. If you want to go back and, and, and listen to past episodes of this show, different dialogues and topics we've talked about in the world of customer service, or if you want to check out any of the other shows available on the Mesh Network, which is a network of podcasts that we make available for free for anybody to listen to and to subscribe to, you can check all those out at the website TheMesh.TV. That's T-H-E-M-E-S-H dot TV. And you can go online and listen to back episodes, subscribe to any of the shows you'd like to receive automatic episodes downloaded to you, uh, and just find out a little bit more about the host as well. All right, so Ed, let's get back to our topic here on Stepping Up Service. We've already covered two industry examples and talked about some of their actions they take for helping not only predict 
possible exiting customers, but also what to do about that when they have that information. So lead us into our third industry example. Sure. Well, you've already been a seasoned ticket holder, Alan. You've uh, been a frequent shopper of handymanparts.com. Now you are going to frequent some nice restaurants. So so what kind of of food, what kind of restaurant would you be frequenting, Alan? Well, Italian food is my absolute favorite type of food. So let's go with Italian. Um, And, uh, you know, nothing too, too high end, but a good, good, high quality Italian restaurant. Probably be my sweet spot there. Okay, that's excellent. I'm half Italian, so I'm right there with you. Right Italian there. is excellent. Absolutely. Okay, so if I, the restaurateur, mm-hmm. want to make sure I can predict the potential exit of you, the restaurant patron at my Italian restaurant, um, what are some different ways I could predict that exit by uncovering issues or gaining input? How can I gain input from a restaurant patron? Well, you know, I know, and this is maybe an older traditional style, but I think it's still useful is the little, uh, little cards or things that you ask a a patron to rate their experience, whether it be on a little postcard, whether it be something on the receipt, whether it be, uh, asking them to go to a website after their meal and and give a rating, some sort of quick customer satisfaction feedback with the experience. I would imagine would be one quick way to do that. And that's, that's been around for quite a while, at least with the little postcards on the table that people used to use. Um, yeah, that. Go ahead. That, that, that's an excellent example. And just to kind of piggyback on that, you're right. It is those comment cards. Maybe it is that kind of feedback on the website. Maybe if you know their social media information, if you try to solicit that from your frequent customers, you can track what they might say or what they put on Yelp. Uh, you, know, you can look at some of the direct feedback you get within the restaurant itself. So that's kind of an issue-oriented or input-oriented method uh, of predicting the exit, identifying those that are at risk. From a more participation standpoint, uh, if you implement loyalty cards mm-hmm. uh, or something along those lines, it's not just to give somebody a free meal and have them come back, but it can also be to track their utilization, uh, to track oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. their frequent, frequency I, I, of visits. I, I hadn't thought of that as really a good option for tracking because you, know, you think about the loyalty cards. You think about all, all this kind of things, punch, punch cards, however many times you show up to get a free appetizer or something. But you're right. If there's a way to track – People that you give a card to, but then they never come back, that tells you a lot about that customer versus those that have filled up all 10 punches or or use it to its full benefit. So that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that as a tool for tracking participation at your restaurant because restaurant participation, I got to imagine, is a little bit trickier to, 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 to track than it would be season ticket holders or online retailers. Yes, but if you take the online retailer view uh, as an example here, let, let's say that this is a restaurant tour. You give them a loyalty card. They have to give you an email address to give the loyalty card. Or maybe you swipe it or somehow you, you mark the client every time they come in. If you think about that in online retailing terms, you could literally track if it's six visits and the seventh's free, what is the, the frequency of time between – or the length of time between visits, just like you're looking at the length of time between visits for an online retailer. And you can track that and see where there are bigger and bigger gaps. And that could enable you to proactively reach out to that particular customer uh, via the email that they provide or whatever social media uh, contact information you have on them to be proactive and follow up on them. So I know it's a physical card, but if we gather uh, their email address or some other contact information, and if there's uh, a way that you can put in place to track it, then you can view that just like an online retailer. Where's mm-hmm. our frequency of visit not there? 
for example, for those particular clients. I see. So it may be the card, but if the card has a code on it that identifies links with a, a database or spreadsheet the restaurant keeps up of everybody gave a card to, then all the, uh, the waitress or waiter needs to do is just note that code number. Say, hey, yeah, it's January 8th and uh, code number 1234 came in for dinner, used their loyalty card. We know who 1234 is, and they were last in here two weeks ago. So that's pretty good. They, they come on a somewhat regular basis. Yeah, so the loyalty card is not given out so that you can give away free food. Right. That's yeah. not the goal of the loyalty card, unless sure. you're just a thoroughly philanthropic restaurateur who wants to go out of business quickly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, you know, instead, it's really about how do I retain this customer? So it's not just a matter of hoping they come back with the card. It's you monitoring their utilization of the card, you monitoring their utilization of your restaurant. So there's certain things you want to do. A couple of we've already alluded to. One is you want to acquire their contact information, uh, even preferences, likes, dislikes, anything you can to, to get that loyalty card or when they supply the comment card, request that kind of information. Build up your contact list. Build up your database over time. The second, when you do predict the exit, you are starting to get these issues via the comment cards, via uh, their feedback while on site. Follow up immediately, especially in restaurants. Follow up while they're on site. Follow mm-hmm. up on the spot. If you can't do it on the spot, follow up immediately thereafter. That's one way to address the potential exit. When you see those lack of visits, you see that lack of use uh, based on the loyalty card, for example, that's when you contact them personally, the manager, the chef, the owner, whatever the case might be. Uh, you, you have those direct personalized contacts. And you might want to even have a retention toolkit. If there is a particular customer, you know they're a frequent customer, high-dollar, high-profit customer, that you can bring to bear a retention toolkit that you can trust any employee, empower the employees to give them a discount, to give them a certain card for a free dessert next time, to schedule a chef visit to their table, or something that, that is a toolkit that every employee knows. If I have a customer, I feel like they're at risk, they're dissatisfied, there's something going on. I, as an individual server or employee, am empowered to utilize this toolkit to retain the customer. Let me ask you a question, Ed, something I was just curious about. I, I may be off base on this, but and I don't even know if it's the practicality of doing it, but I would imagine, too, generally when people leave tips at a restaurant, you know, the whole tip percentage is supposed to be based on how much you want to tip your server. Now, I think sometimes people will tip the server, but I think the tip may actually be just as much reflective of their whole restaurant experience, not just the one person that served their food. Are, are, do restaurants do anything with tracking typical tip percentage You know, uh, uh, with that, or is that kind of one of those things that just goes directly to the, wait, to the waiter's waiter and, and, and the restaurant doesn't really have a means or shouldn't have a means for tracking that? Well, my understanding is a lot of restaurants, not the majority, but a lot of restaurants do track it, but they don't necessarily track it for what we're talking about here, Mm -hmm. where it's I'm monitoring uh, Alan's tips over time, and I'm using this to determine how satisfied or dissatisfied he is with the service overall. Uh, That's not typically the use for it. It's more of an evaluation tool on the individual server or something along those lines. But uh, it's a great point you're bringing up. It's just not something that's done for the uh, predicting the exit purpose. Hmm. And it's just kind of interesting to think about because, I mean, normally I'm leaving a tip. If I do decide to leave a low tip for whatever reason because it was just really horrible service, 
chances are pretty high. I'm not coming back to that restaurant as quickly or as soon as I would have otherwise. So mm-hmm. just kind of some interesting, it's another point of data that I wasn't sure how useful that would be in this process. So yeah, the, yeah the, I think it would be useful. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, <laughs> no, no, you first. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be useful if you had history on that given uh, account, that okay. given customer. I mean, there's so many examples where, uh, you have certain people who are just historically good tippers, other people where their dad buys them dinner and, and the dad leaves and then the son comes back and leaves a few more dollars on the table because they know mm. the dad is not a good tipper. That's so true. there's not yeah. always a one-to-one correlation between the tip and the quality of the service. Sometimes it's just how the customers do or don't tip. I see. Okay, good deal. I'm just kind of curious about that. So so yeah. in general, the restaurant, the restaurant industry, I mean – I would think it's a little trickier to monitor that repeat business yes. and predicting, and it may take a little more creative options to do so, but because it is such a transactional process where sometimes people are coming to a restaurant and that's the only time they'll ever be there because they don't live in that area or whatever else it may be. So I can understand it'd be a little bit trickier to, to monitor, but there are tools to do that. Yes. Uh, and it is much more difficult. You have to be more intentional, especially for using it, not to just make broader operational changes based on frequent contact uh, comments on a Yelp or some other kind of social media evaluation site. But if you want to use it to retain, yes, it is a lot more difficult. Mm, okay. Yes. So what's the fourth industry we have to talk about? Uh, the fourth industry is near and dear to your and my hearts, and it's the professional services firm. Yes. Professional services. That is what we are. So. So you get to be a client, Alan. What what kind of professional services firm would you want to be a client of in this situation? You know what? I've got two dogs at home, and uh, even though they're both short haired dogs, and you know they don't really need grooming as much as other dogs, uh, we tend to go a little too long before having them either bathed or cleaned up or, or taken care of. So, can we do something with a kind of a dog grooming service? Would that be okay? Pet grooming. Uh, thanks for that one, Allie. You threw me a little bit of a curveball there. Yeah, I like to keep uh, you on your toes, Ed. So Yes, we, we have a dog. I've never groomed him. We have two cats, one of which I wouldn't want to get close enough to to groom. Mm. So uh, we're, we're going to kind of fly by the seat of our pants here. So we'll right. see how this goes. Good. Now, in terms of the categories uh, that I'm going to give you for uh, predicting the exit, instead of focusing at least initially on participation or issues, identifying those are gaining input, I'm going to give you a new category. This category is circumstances. Hmm. So I want you to think of what circumstances for a pet owner could change that could uh, cause the – company, that pet grooming service, to think that that this family, this customer uh, is at risk uh, of no longer being a customer of ours. Okay. Um, so with a pet grooming company, I would imagine the circumstances could be, because um, I know some of these nicer pet grooming places, the actual professionals who perform the service are kind of known by the customer. So let's oh. say either somebody leaves or they bring on a new groomer. That would be one of those circumstances where I could see that might trigger people not showing up as often or maybe possibly losing them as a customer, right? So that could be one circumstance. Yes. Uh, pricing changes, fee price increases would be another circumstance I could see affecting whether or not somebody may think about leaving. You've got complaints that come up if uh, they don't treat the dog quite right or, or there's little nicks and cuts on the dog more than, than what there should be. Changing of the products they use. You know, if they change out the products they use to groom and take care of the dogs, either 
shampoo or, or conditioners or whatever, then that, that could be something else as well. So, anyway. You know, that's really interesting because all of our focus uh, and these examples about why a customer might exit uh, relate to the customer mm-hmm. providing feedback. And when I asked you about circumstances that change, you looked at company circumstances that oh, might change, okay. not customer circumstances. And that's really interesting because, for example, uh, as you know, we do research with different sports organizations and we were doing some research for a recent um, racing oriented mm-hmm. uh, event. And at that particular event, there were huge decreases in customer satisfaction. Uh, and there were people who were threatening to leave. Uh, and it was because of one of two things. Campers were upset that a grocery store that used to be in the campground uh, was taken out. Hmm. So the campers who were there for a week didn't have a local grocery store they could go to that was on site. Wow. It okay. made it very inconvenient. For them, another was there was an edict that came down on from on high that there couldn't be these merchandise haulers at these events anymore, where the actual racers bring in their own merchandise to sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, it was going to be sold by some centralized body mm-hmm. uh, that that was managing the whole racing series. So these are internal things that uh, are causing upheaval, causing change and causing that customer to not be at risk. I think you bring up an excellent point. Um, When you're thinking about what could predict the exit of customers, don't just look externally for the customer. Look Mm -hmm. internally at the change your organization's going through, and don't just assume customers are not going to care if their groomer left. If you're a barbershop, nobody's going to care if your particular barber left. Look at those internal changes that have uh, an effect on the external customer experience and realize those can be potential exit reasons, and therefore you need to think very strategically about what do we need to do to to make sure that we're proactive uh, and working with the customers through this change. Okay, yeah, great. And then, you know, kind of on the flip side, since uh, you're asking also about, I guess, customer circumstances, mm-hmm. you know, um, that could change is obviously um, if their pets are really old and you yes. know, may not be around in another year or two. That's obviously, you hate to think of it in terms of that, but as a, as a business, you've got to think, well, if a lot of our pet owners and the pets they have are, are much older, that may be some business we're losing, not because of anything we're doing wrong, just you know, mm-hmm. we're losing. Um, the addition or change of pets, um, you know, uh, the presence of another grooming uh, company in town that starts up. I mean, there's a yes. lot of external circumstances I'm sure that could be kind of influence whether or not people may leave you or not. Yes. And, and that, that idea of the external uh, or, or the additional competitor coming into town, you could even look at the customer themselves. Are they moving to a different part of town? Mm-hmm. Because that convenience factor may be lost for you and gained for one of your competitors. So start looking for some of those circumstances that change. Now we're talking about a personal example where the customer is an individual or a family. If you think about it from a business standpoint b2b where you're a you're a researcher and you have a hospital you have a local government entity you have a local retailer etc who you're delivering research to then you start saying well what could happen to that business that could be a risk factor we deal with this a lot with local economic development organizations who are trying to keep businesses from moving to another city or another state they look for situations of rapid growth Mm-hmm. Because if a business is growing rapidly, that means their needs might be changing. That mean, might mean they're outgrowing their facility or, or they need a different level of service. Uh, are they being acquired? Mm-hmm. Because then their control over decision-making or just the scale of the operation could change drastically. 
uh, are they having performance issues? Or if a business is really losing money or, or they're starting to grow more slowly or a competitor comes into town, that could be a situation where they're looking for alternative means for a service or they're thinking that they don't need the service or starting to view these professional services as purely a cost mm-hmm. as opposed to something that has a positive impact on the business. And the, and the fourth example is industry shift, where literally the economy is changing or this particular industry uh, is having some kind of an issue and they need a different kind of help. You know, you think about the businesses that exist today, especially with a strong online presence, and, and you think of what businesses provided those services 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there's a major industry shift, economic shift that uh, I'm sure has cost many different companies business because they stuck with that old brick and mortar when in reality the people providing those services now are providing it in a much different way. So yeah. circumstances, look for changes in circumstances of your customers or like in your examples, changes within your own organization that could potentially drive customers away. Mm. Yeah, that's a, it's a lot of things I'm sure people take for granted is when there's changes around them or changes inside their organization or in the community around them. Those things all have an impact on whether or not somebody may stay as your customer or not. Yeah. And, and along with the circumstances, you can still get input. It's a client satisfaction surveys. You can still monitor participation. Uh, are they participating in user group meetings? Are they responsive to your emails that you're sending out and your requests for meetings with them? Or are they not responding quickly? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have all those different ways to predict the exit. Now, once you do predict the exit, here are just a couple quick points. We already talked about the account relationship structure, mm-hmm. having that in place early on so you can keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on in that organization, identify these reasons for exit. If there's a contract renewal uh, timeline similar to pro sports, make sure well before then, well before then you're requesting meeting, you're, you're setting up calls, you're trying to tailor the conversation and the questions to whatever their core issue is that you've identified to whatever that core change is, that circumstance that they're going through. You're trying to make sure that the representatives go into meetings with a predefined list of uh, services or alternatives based on what's changing with the company. And then finally, one thing to really think about if you're uh, in a professional services firm is if you have a company who truly may exit, Mm -hmm. this is where you really need to say, well, what is our exit strategy from a leadership standpoint? Mm -hmm. When do we bring in our executives to try to save that sale before it's really going through the risk of cancellation. Mm-hmm. I mean, the account reps have to be comfortable enough to say that this particular account's really at risk. I'm not going to put it all on my shoulders. I know in certain circumstances, I need to bring in the president of my company or some CXO to help me before the situation gets too dire. So you got to yeah. be willing as a rep to escalate when needed. Absolutely. That's great, great ideas and feedback. I mean, I love the fact that all four of the industries were very different type of industries, but they're all sharing the same situation. They all have customers that could be leaving them. And it's all finding out what are those factors? How do we predict it? And then what do we do about it? There's a lot of commonality between what to do about it. It's just maybe the tactics are a little different. But this whole idea of having a strategy, having an actual relationship management strategy for each of these clients is still imperative, no matter the industry we're talking about. So. Right. And anybody listening to this particular podcast, if I had to suggest to you what's the first step in trying to predict the exit, go back through those categories. Mm -hmm. How can I gauge participation? How can I uncover issues? How can I get input and have changes in circumstances that cause the customer to exit? Okay. Great. Sounds like some good stuff, Ed. We really appreciate all the input, as always, on the episodes here that you share with us. Um, 
that's our topic on uh, predicting the exit. Now we'd move to something a little bit, I mean, I don't want to say it's lighter because I mean, sometimes the stories are a little a bit of a downer and it gets us depressed. And sometimes we have, <laughs> sometimes we have really good positive stories, but Ed and I always share a customer service experience we've had in the last 30 days since we met last uh, to record this, these episodes and to talk about one of those experiences that can be a positive or it can be a negative customer service experience share that experience and also translate it into what does this mean for us as listeners to make sure we either do or don't do in the future in our own, our own situations. My example is a negative one. So Ed, is your positive or negative? Uh, there is a positive lesson learned in mine. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do then. How about, let me go first and sure. do the negative one and kind of get the, the, the negative one out of the way. And then yours can end at least on a positive message note. Excellent. Okay. Sounds good. Well, here's what was interesting with my story. And it's actually two stories that happened almost simultaneously between my wife and myself. My, I have gone to the doctor. Uh, I've actually got to go back to the doctor in a little bit. I'm still trying to check on some things with this illness and all that, uh, and this congestion and whatnot. But as I was going to the doctor the other day, at the same time, my wife was going to the grocery store. Okay. So we were able to come back home together and like kind of collaborate on our experiences. And it's funny because the experiences we had were almost exactly the same at these wow. two different places. Uh, my doctor's office, uh, because of the way healthcare is, this, this physician practice has gotten bought by a certain hospital in town. That hospital has also gotten bought by a big health system. So there's a lot of transitions going on. So of course I'm showing up. This is uh, one of the first days of January, right after the holidays. I knew it was probably going to be a little nuts there in the physician practice office the day after all the holidays are, are done, but I needed to go. So I went on and, and went anyway. And sure enough, I got there and there's a line of people and waiting to be seen by the front desk. I'm there just to get blood work done. So I'm really, I, I know where to go. The lab is in the back of the building. I could honestly just walk right there and go, but I know they really like for me to check in. So mm -hmm. I'm waiting in line to check in and I wait for a very long time while people are ahead of me. I get to the front of the line and I find out why things are taking so long. The computer system's completely down. So they've oh. gone through this whole big transition. They're doing everything by paper now. Like they're pulling out paper oh, files from the God. file cabinets and going through. Wow. At least I understood that. At least there's a reason they said to me, hey, listen, we're, we're, we're really backed up because our computer systems are offline. Okay. I get it. They apologize for that. That's fine. Here's where the problem was though. This is one of those situations where you're at the front desk and the people at the, uh, the reception counter, it's open to the whole rest of the office behind them. So I'm able to hear and see what every other staff person is saying and doing behind them. And it's just the most negative, complaining, oh my gosh, I can't believe we have to do this. Oh, can you believe it? What a great way to come back from New Year's. Well, just thanks. I should have just stayed home on holiday or whatever. And it's just that negativity just festering throughout the building. Of course, we're all standing out there at the front of the line. We're the least negative of anybody, even though we're the ones kind of being <laughs> inconvenienced by it all. Um, but it was just so irritating to hear all that frustration and festering. The fact of the matter is this. Okay, we get it. The computer system's down. That is a bad thing. And we understand that there's going to be a longer line. We understand that there's probably going to be some things that aren't going to go as smoothly. But as an employee at an organization that has a public facing to the consumers, 
you can't let that out. You can't let that be what permeates the culture and becomes part of their experience because now I'm already at a lower spot, my expectation level of what I'm going to get service wise. So I'm already on the lookout now for anything that doesn't go right or something else where somebody else is complaining. So that's always just a real pet peeve of mine. And it just hit me right across the face during that visit. So of course I get home and I'm telling my wife, I'm like, it just, it just kills me. These people who just are so vocal complaining in front of customers And she said, you know, I had the exact same thing at the grocery store just a few minutes ago. Grocery store systems were on the fritz. They were having some problems. And everybody there in the grocery store lines were complaining about it, all the employees, and yelling to one another, is yours working? Mine's not working either. Well, God, that's fierce figures. You know, it's just that same negativity again. And it just – people just need to remember this affects the consumer, those people that are listening and seeing and hearing you. Their view of your organization has now gotten tainted, and they are now going to be more susceptible to negative experiences, to things that don't go right, and they're going to view your personnel in a much lower light. My wife's reaction was, well, this is why I need to remember to keep going to that other grocery store, even if it's further away, because the people there are always really nice and professional. See, Mm -hmm. and right away, they could have predicted my wife's exit (laughs) from that grocery store by her tone and the way she was responding to being uh, exposed to that much negativity by the employees. So anyway, it was just kind of, I hate to say it was funny, but it was kind of interesting. We both came home and had the exact same experience with two different, completely different uh, business environments, but it affected us exactly the same way. So, Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Very ironic that you had that ex- negative yeah. experience at the exact same time. Exact same it time. sounds like. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. Well, so give uh, us a story that at least has a good positive ending message, if at all possible. Sure. And this actually is something my relative experienced, a relative of mine in the last month or so. She found out just before Christmas, about a week and a half before Christmas, she had to get a whole new heating and air conditioning system for her house. It went out, of course, you know, in those days in, in uh, North Carolina when it was 40 as the high, high 20s and mid-December thing. Um, and she was going to originally go with the, the company that came in and told her there was an issue um, but uh, she decided to get two estimates. So the first, and these estimates occurred on the same day, the first company came, uh, there were two individuals that came to look at her heating system. Uh, they spent about 15 minutes in the house, and then they went and sat in their truck in the driveway for about 30 minutes, just mm-hmm. the two employees. They came back after about 30 minutes. They gave her an estimate it had three lines of information, maybe about 30 words and one price. So mm-hmm. that was the first experience. Now let's go to the second estimate. Okay. We had later that afternoon, my relative had somebody come to their house, come to her, uh, talk for maybe about 50 minutes on site. Instead of 15, 50 minutes, uh, he was in the house. He walked all around the house, looked at the heating system itself, looked at uh, the rooms in the house. He took pictures of a lot of different areas. He asked a lot of questions, very inquisitive about the home, very inquisitive about the heating and cooling and those sorts of things. He talked about the installers, that if she was to choose their particular company, the quality, the experience level, certifications, et cetera, of the installers that would work. He went back to his office that evening. He mailed uh, a quote with three different options, uh, basically a good, better, best type of options. And she ended up taking the second company. And I asked her why, even though it was pretty obvious. Sure. But in the first case, the, the second company 
mentioned uh, the, the credentials of the installers. He was building up the credibility of his coworkers. She could envision what that installation process would be like. Secondly, he spent a lot more time with her in the house uh, and not just talking about her 30 minutes uh, from the car from a distance. Third, very detailed, very specific, provided multiple options. Fourth, asked lots of questions, you know, yeah. very inquisitive about the customer, trying to find out what's unique about them, and then took pictures showing that what was unique about her, the hot, the house, the system was very important to him. So important that he wanted to have that documentation that he could share with the installers prior to that process taking place. So just a great experience. Great. The second guy got it. The installation went great. Uh, I talked to her yesterday. The system's working perfect, and it was just a great example of, a, of an excellent customer experience. Well, you know, I've had those same experiences where I get so nervous when somebody comes to buy to look at something in my house or office, and they're going to give us a quote, and they're so quick, they don't ask a lot of questions, and right. they somehow put together exactly what I need. And it's it's nerve-wracking because you just think, you know, something this specific, you know, something this involved, I want to know that person's putting in enough time to really give me a good estimate. Cause what I'm afraid of is I'm going to go forward with somebody and they're going to find out that there was a lot of surprises or details or things they didn't count on. And that's where the cost escalation and time escalation comes in that people get so upset about when you're talking about home repairs or anything else. So uh, I admire anybody who will come and spend as much time as they possibly want to spend and ask as many questions as they want to get me the most accurate possible quote they can give me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. And similar to predicting the exit where you're trying to be proactive on the front end so you can head off as many of those exits on the back end. This person spent so much time on the front end. uh, He had a much lower likelihood that that installation was going to go wrong on the back end. Absolutely. That's great. Good deal. Okay. Well, good. You did end on a good note. So that's good. Somebody got a, had a good positive experience at the end of the day. Uh, Again, those are our customer service stories of the month that we like to share just as kind of some examples of what to do or what not to do and and to hear from two people that are experiencing these things. And we're kind of keeping a close eye on these things, of course, in the kind of business that we're in. But uh, this is the kind of things that affect consumers and and affect their decisions about whether they're going to leave a, a place of business in the future or not. So again, predicting the exit here on Stepping Up Service. Uh, It's just a great topic. And again, if you like this topic or anything related to this, uh, go back and listen to our archives. There's a lot of episodes that all complement each other on this whole idea of delivering outstanding customer service, a whole series of those that we hope are helpful to you, your employees, your organization, friends, whoever it may be. Ed, uh, we're going to go ahead and get, uh, sign off here. Uh, I hope you have a great weekend coming up. And I know even though we're off of football for at least uh, a little bit longer, right, we've got some playoffs coming up pretty soon for our Carolina yes. Panthers that we're excited yes. about. And uh, I know Charlotte's probably a, all a buzz for uh, going on with the, with the playoffs and a, hopefully a good Super Bowl run for the Panthers. So we'll be keeping an eye on them for that. And uh, thanks for joining us as always, Ed. I'm glad to have you here. I enjoyed it and hope you uh, enjoy the rest of your week, Alan, and uh, we'll definitely look forward to doing this again next month. Absolutely. Look forward to it as well. Take care, everyone. Thanks for joining us, and we'll look forward to talking to you next month. Take care. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. 
Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.